This series is called Jesus, simply Jesus in quotes. And the reason for that is because John, the gospel writer, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, opens his book. Very first words of his book are these. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, he goes on to make it crystal clear that he's talking about Jesus. That Jesus was the Son of God, the Word made carnate, or the Word in flesh. God speaking to us. And God was not speaking to us only through what Jesus said, but through who he was and what he did. Everything about him was speaking to us. And God wants to speak to us. He's made that clear from cover to cover in the Bible. He wants us to hear from him. And so in a voice uh, crystal clear, he sent his son Jesus to speak to us. Now the Gospel of John is, um, is built around two sets of seven. Seven I am statements. I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection, I am the light of the world, and so on. And, and seven uh, miracles. Out of all the miracles that Jesus performed, John selected seven to include in his gospel. And we have to believe, based on how he opens his gospel, that everything he included here was meant for us to observe or to um, see as God speaking to us. So I'm, I'm uh, taking you along with me on a little journey to explore these seven miracles that, that uh, John records for us and looking for what and listening for what God is saying to us through what Jesus did. Does that make sense? All right, and so I've asked you to turn to John 5 and we're going to start reading at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. You could go there and visit this spot today. Sue and I have been there. Although uh, at any place, you, any historical site you go to in Israel, you go down to it because layers of civilization have been built over these places. But it has been excavated and you can get there and see this, this uh, uh, place that's being referred to as uh, the Pool of Bethesda that had five porches. In these, verse 3 says, lay a great multitude of sick people. doesn't tell us how many, but the word that's used here to describe great multitude is uh, not a handful. It's a lot of people. And it says that they are sick. They're blind, lame, paralyzed. And it tells us they're waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, before we go any further, uh, I want to try to make something clear here because some of you have probably been exposed to this passage before, uh, but some of you, maybe this is the first time you've read this, and I want you to understand something. Verse 4, when it describes this, this um, thing about 
the water, an angel coming and stirring the water in the pool of Bethesda, and then the people who were there sick, whoever could get in first to the water, it would be made well. I want you to notice that we are never told in this verse that this was God, that this was God's doing. We're never told that. In fact, if you look at this in light of everything the Bible tells us about God, you would, you would have to exclude this from being an act of God because he doesn't toy with people this way. He doesn't torture people this way. The God that the Bible describes is not the one who says, well, you know, every once in a while I'll send an angel to stir the water and if you get in there first, I'll heal you. The rest of you, no such luck. That is not the God of the Bible. And we're not told that, it, that this was him. See, the word angel in the New Testament is kind of neutral. It just means messenger. And it, the context within which it's being used helps us to know whether we're talking about a divine messenger, an angel from God, or a demonic angel, a fallen angel. And we know that from the Bible that there are both. So it's most likely that we're talking about well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it that way. One of the ways that you could see this is that the enemy who does love to toy with people and who does want to mess with folks would cause there to be some stirring of the water and if somebody got in there, maybe they received some sort of benefit from it. But the fact that he keeps everybody there in limbo, in waiting, in desperation, that would be very much like our adversary. But I'll tell you, I think this is probably not even that. Just my own opinion is that this is probably mythology. That there, that's, that a, a story, a rumor has begun to develop around this issue. And you could point to any number of them in the world in which we live. Places where people think that if they could get there, they might get healed. There's places in this world that are considered that kind of destination and when people are sick we are desperate for anything if somebody comes along and says to you if you have a cold if you'll take this many uh, vitamin C tablets you'll be good or you know airborne or uh, you know essential oils or whatever it is we will buy it because we're desperate we'll do whatever right and so it's easy for mythology to develop around or, you know, rumor or, or story to develop around something like this. And I think that's what we're dealing with here. The point is, that this was not God, I do not believe. And the other point is, these people did believe that if they could get in the water first, and that's what keeps them there. That's why these sick people, this multitude of sick people are there day after day after day hoping that they'll be able to, and who knows if it ever happens, but they are so desperate they remain there. All right, verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Listen, this guy is clearly not dying. Okay, he's been, he's had this infirmity for 38 years. But I'll tell you what else is clear. He's not living either. God is speaking to us today out of the miracle that we're about to read about you and me. 
because I would say without exaggeration, I do not believe I'm exaggerating when I say that most of us are not dying, but we're not really living either. We're camped around a pool waiting for something outside of us to change so that we can be different. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now the word well, that's translated, translated well there, is, is appropriately translated by that word W-E-L-L. You could also use the word, do you want to be healed? That would be appropriate too. But in the old King James, the word is whole, W-H-O-L-E. And I like that one best because this uh, word in the Greek is not only about the, you know, getting yourself fixed, but actually being returned to original state. It's more than just having, you know, you know getting the broken place mended in your leg so that you can walk again. It's the break being completely gone as though it never happened. It's, the, it's not just healing, it's wholeness. So, the, so Jesus comes to this man, he's been laying here who knows for how long, but suffering with this condition for 38 years and he says, <laughs> it cracks me up. He says, I mean, not in a good way. It's just so pathetic and so much like me. But Jesus says to him, do you want to be made whole? It's a yes or no question, right? But the guy doesn't answer yes. He doesn't answer no. He gives an excuse. His, he says, well, <laughs> I can't get to the water fast enough. Oh, my gosh. That is so much like me. The Lord shows up in my life and he says, do you want to be made whole? Not just mended, whole. And my answer is, well, you don't know my search situation. Let me explain to you. I've had all of these things happen to me and I haven't had this and well, I, you know, we weave this story of why I can't say yes. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And then Jesus says to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, the man was made well, or made whole, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, now the, when it refers to the Jews, we're talking about the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership primarily, the scribes and Pharisees. They said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. <laughs> They're going to write him a ticket. This guy's been... This guy's been sick for 38 years. Jesus heals him, and they're going to write him a ticket for carrying his bed. Hey, he answered them, and I love this. 
He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Who do you think I'm going to obey today? All right. I want to go back through this uh, account with you just a little bit more and take a look at a couple of things that have to do or that are uh, around the, the statements that Jesus makes to this man, these commands that he makes to this man. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. This guy thinks that the root to his wholeness, to his moving from this condition or this state of not really dying but not really living either, that the solution to that is outside of him. That if the circumstances surrounding his life could be rearranged in some way, that things could change for him. And Jesus is confronting that in the strongest of terms. He says, rise, rise. Now you realize this guy can't do that. Jesus is asking him to do something he can't do. So when the Lord steps into my life and says to me, Randy, do you want to be made whole in this area of your life? And I, I reply, well, I can't because I don't have enough education. I can't because I have this condition. I can't because of whatever. This guy was in the same boat. And Jesus did not empathize with that. <laughs> he, did not, he did not tolerate that. He said, get up. And there's something, I don't know how to explain it. The guy makes a choice. And, I mean, he doesn't, he can't walk. We're specifically told he's there because he can't walk. He can't do this, but there's a choice that he makes that meets Jesus and he stands up. Part of what that was all about was to end the excuses, to stop making excuses. There's a woman that, I, that Sue and I know is a lifetime missionary. She's been on the field for probably 30 years. And um, we were having dinner with her one night over um, in another part of the world. And we were, and I, I wish I could give you the backstory, but we've had many conversations with her leading up to this one. So there's more to it than just, you know, this one account. But anyway, we were asking her about her life and she was telling me about, or telling us, about a new ministry that was being launched by the group that she works with to plant churches in a certain area of the city where she, she was. And she was telling us, I want to move to that part of the city. I want to be a part of this, uh, reaching out to that part of the community with the gospel. And when she's telling us this, her face is bright, she's animated, she's, her voice is excited. And then she says, but there's so much to do at the office. And until I have someone else to help me, I can't go. <laughs> her whole countenance changed, the tone of her voice, everything. 
And now she's back to being camped around a pool waiting for something outside of her to change before she can live. Now what you don't know, I forgot to tell you, is that her main role in the mission field for many years had been administration. It's an important thing. She's the one who made the trains run on time, made sure that bills get paid and that kind of stuff, and that the ministry operates with financial integrity. And she's really, really, really good at it. And so that's her role, but it, it wasn't really living for her, right? And I asked her, it just occurred to me, I wasn't planning this conversation, obviously. It just occurred to me to, to ask this to her. I believe it was a word of knowledge from the Lord. I said to her, have you ever in your life, have you ever in your whole life not felt like there was too much to do? Like you were overwhelmed and weary, exhausted, and it was probably a matter of a minute, but it seemed like much longer than that as I watched the wheels turning in her mind and she's thinking through her life. And then she says to me, no. This feeling of being under something that I don't want, being locked into a life that isn't really mine, is something I've carried with me my whole life. Well, that means it's not going to be solved by somebody else coming to help you in the office. Changing the furniture around isn't going to fix this. This is something in you. And Jesus has shown up now to ask you a very simple question. Do you want to be whole? The answer to that is well, not well if you would just send somebody to take over my responsibilities at the office. That's not the answer to the question. The answer is yes. Stop making excuses. I've had people tell me, well, you know, I... I'm struggling with this addiction because I carry all of this pain from my childhood and, you know, it's really got its stuff hooked into me so deep I just can't stop. Jesus was asking this guy to do something he couldn't do either. He just simply needed to stop making excuses, stop locating the problem outside of himself and let Jesus get to the, the healing, the wholeness part of him. Another guy I, I was sitting at dinner with one time, he was telling me about how his life is ruled by bitterness. And he knew that about himself. He said, I'm a bitter man. I'm angry. And I said, well, why? And then he tells me this horrible story about his childhood, his life, his family. I mean, I've, as a pastor for a long time, I've, sometimes I think I've heard it all. Uh, but this was certainly one of the one of those up there, you know, and, and, and I almost, I found myself almost thinking, well, yeah, you should be angry and bitter because what they did to you. Uh, in fact, I'd like to be angry and bitter with you, you know. <laughs> but I know that that is no route to living. 
And I, and I said to him, I said, you know, you're going to have to let this go. If you keep waiting for them to change, if you keep waiting for the water to stir, if you keep waiting for the circumstances and conditions you find yourself to change, you'll be waiting here your whole life. You'll live your whole life dying. You're going to have to let this go. And I, I again, I didn't plan this, but I, I said to him, put your hands out in front of you. And he obediently did. That was interesting. <laughs> and I said, picture in those hands everything that you're angry about, all the hurt that has been leveled against you, picture it all there, all of its ugliness, its blackness, its pain, picture it. And he did. I think he knew where this was going and he, he didn't do this casually. He sat there for quite some time and just... And then I said to him, I said, now, I want you to take all of that and place it into my hands. And I'm going to just represent Jesus here. You let go of that into his hands. Answer his question. Do you want to be whole? By saying, yes. And he did that. And that's what Jesus was confronting a lot of us with. Right now, I think. Today. Right now. This moment. And I know this may seem a little bit. Uh, I don't know, over the top. But I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to invite some of you to do what Jesus asked this guy to do. To rise up. To get to your feet. If you're one of these people that right now you know you need to stop making excuses. You need to stop living camped out within sight of that which you think will heal you but never getting there. Let the Lord bring wholeness to your life. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. I don't know the story. I don't need to. But I know this is a turning point for you. This is a holy moment when beyond this one, everything that was is different. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, as powerfully as you moved in this man's life to set him free from his unwholeness and to bring him into his created state, Lord, I ask that you would not only mend the variety of conditions represented here, but bring wholeness, restoration to the intended order. And may it be that the years of dying but not living end now, and that, Lord, your purposes for their lives that were shaped before the foundation of the world would be released in this moment. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. The next thing that Jesus said to this man was take up your bed and walk. And he was asking him to pack up his campsite because he's not coming back. Now here's the thing. If he would have left his bed there, in those moments when doubt starts to come, 
he'd have a place to return to what's familiar. Whenever the Lord is leading us from our current condition to something better, something that he has planned for us, there's always that transition point where it's a little bit in jeopardy. And even though what's familiar wasn't good, it is familiar and we will easily resort back. And so the Lord was saying to him, pick up your bed. Do not come back here. You're not coming back here. And for those of you who stood a minute ago, this is important for you. All of us, when we find ourselves in this kind of state, we will create for ourselves a network and system of things that support our living in that state of unwholeness. We will surround ourselves with people who will, you know, help us live in our denial. We will, here's a good one. If you have a problem with pornography and you keep your cell phone on you, you're not packing up your campsite. Smash it. Go back to smoke signals and, and you know, carrier pigeons. What's more important? Living or having, you know, that campsite you can return to when trouble comes or you're not feeling quite right. You get my point? Burn it down. I, I, I'm a fan of the amazing, not the, well, I'm a fan of the amazing race, but I'm also a fan, a fan of Survivor. Now I just told you some, some blackmail information right there, I think. But anyway, on Survivor, when you get down to the final three and they're spent, they've spent their last night in this camp that they've been in for, I don't know how many days, they almost always burn it down because they're not coming back. And Jesus was asking that of this man. Pick up your bed. And then finally he said to him, walk. <laughs> Move on with your life. Now look, it's a little scary because it's unknown. We don't, we don't, we, we, as ugly as this unwholeness place has been in our lives, at least we know it. This is unknown territory. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Walk. Begin to let him step by step lead you into what you have been made for, what you have been missing. And then when you, <laughs> and then when that happens, get ready for some opposition. There's always going to be, when you begin to move out in faith, trusting the Lord to bring wholeness to your life, there will be somebody who comes along and says, hey, this is the Sabbath. You can't carry your bed today. The enemy of your soul will always, always try to confront the delivering, healing, saving work of Jesus. So when that happens... Do what this man did. Say, wait a minute. The one who, who healed me told me to do this. I'm going to listen to him today. You, on the other hand, have kept me in bondage for who knows how long. I am not going to listen to you anymore. I mean, it seems simple, but... Get ready so you have a ready answer when that comes.
This is recording number 11249, from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 5, 2017. This is the third message in a series titled, Jesus. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Steps to Wholeness.